Jennifer Lin, thank you so much for coming on Rising Giants today. Dom and I are really excited to talk to you and begin exploring this uh, this new trend in the acceleration space in Cambodia with the launch of Choice. So before we get into that, we'd love to just jump into your background and you could just tell us a little bit about what, what you've been doing before coming to Cambodia and starting this new venture. Wow, sure. Majored in accounting in university, so I actually did several years of auditing. And then I did my master in UK. After I graduated, I started to do sales and trading for investment banks in Hong Kong for several years. And then I slowly transitioned to more like multifamily office sort of asset allocation. And that's when I started to realize I really had an interest to learn more about investment because at that time, my role with the multifamily office was still more like client-facing. So I realized, although I was the one who participated in most of the discussions regarding how we wanted to recommend the clients to allocate their assets, but as a salesperson, as my title, my clients always want to talk to the investment guys. Like they are the only one can have intellectual conversations. <laughs> so I felt like I wanted to be the one who made the decision and have the title regarding investments so I can share with people my opinions and they respect my opinions. So I started to see if there's any way I can step into a role in the industry of investment. That's when I got a position with my previous company, which is a Japanese PE fund but they had a branch in Taipei. So I moved back to Taipei from Hong Kong for this new position, but it was not like I wanted to go back to Taiwan as Taiwanese. It's just the new position happens to be in Taipei. So I worked several years for the Japanese PE fund, and then I knew exactly I had a huge interest in early stage investments. I wanted to do venture investment. I want to do like, very early stage. I don't prefer to stay in a later stage like PE. So I started to talk to my connections regarding my interests to, you know, just move from PE to BC. And that's when I had a conversation with my current boss. He was actually someone I met during my time with a multifamily office. So he is a second generation of a famous family business in Taiwan. I just wanted to ask him if he happens to know any one of his friends who is looking for someone to help them to do social impact investments because I'm very into social impact investments and especially early stage. And he was like, you know what? Actually, my family is thinking of hiring someone full time to take care of our investments, to keep doing new investments, and especially to help us to learn more about social impact investments because we normally only do commercial investments but we don't have a lot of knowledge regarding social enterprises. So that's when I joined the company that I'm working for right now and eventually we had this idea regarding we want to have an accelerator here in Cambodia. So that's a short journey of my career. Okay, yeah, th thank you. Thank you for that. And, and when did you first grow an interest in sort of startups and early stage and, and looking at a social impact? How did that unfold for you? 
Well, if I think back, I had a interesting startups very early, right before I、uh, needed to go to UK for my master, because at that time I left the accounting firm that I worked for. But before I needed to go to UK for my study, I had several months of gap. So I started to take multiple roles with multiple startups in Taiwan to help them to do some projects, because I only have few months to work with them. And I think after I graduated from my master and started to work for investment banks, I realized how I enjoyed. The atmosphere and the flexibility of working with startups compared to working with a very well organized organization. Of course, there's good things regarding how big organizations do things. It's very efficient and it's just clear cut, and you know it's always a lot of people issue and too flexible when you work with startups. But I realized the life that I spent to work with startup is the one that I enjoy the most. So I started to think how I can combine my knowledge, like my knowledge in finance, together with the hope that I want to help startups a little bit more. I mean, of course, I can also join startups to become someone in-house, but. I feel like I don't leverage the most of my experiences and my knowledge if I join directly with startups to work with them. How about I leverage the experience and resources that I get throughout my career in the financial industry to help startups? Maybe I can do a little bit more by doing this. So that's how I, you know, figured and try to move my career path a little bit towards early stage investments. Okay, great. Oh, sorry. <laughs> regarding social impact, I think my time with my university that I did master, which is Oxford, influenced me a lot because actually before I enrolled with Oxford, I didn't even know what is social impact investment because the term was not very popular in Asia around a decade ago. <laughs> It's been a long time, so I only had this idea that I wanted to do my master in Europe. Because I prefer to, you know, get to stay for a long time in Europe to experience the culture and everything. So I applied for majority European MBA schools, and when I got the offer from Oxford, I just wanted to go because it's a very nice university. But later I learned that actually Oxford and Cambridge are maybe not right now, but they in you know long. Ten years ago, they were the only two major universities focusing their MBA programs on social entrepreneurship, while most of the other their competitors in U.S. or even in other European countries, they still focus on more like consulting or banking sort of training. So I got to learn a lot about social impact investments during my days in Oxford. That's why I started to know exactly if it's early stage investments I want to focus on social impact. And it's it's really gone mainstream now, impact、yeah. investing, right,、mm-hmm. in Asia. Would you would you say it would like? Are there any particular regions or countries that you really see it's it's taken off? Maybe maybe a comparison between Taiwan and and other places. Well, that's a very good question because we know it's a buzzword right now. But I honestly doubt 
if anyone is like clearly understanding what exactly social impact investment is. Because if you look at very authentic social impact funds here in Asia, I think you can still count with your both hands. Most of the people are getting this idea and trying to say they are also doing social impact investments, but I think most of the time they are just covering some ESG indexes. So it's still pretty far away from a real, very authentic social impact investments. I think Dom can comment something about this. <laughs> yeah, more of like this triple bottom line return, right? It's, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, it's, there, there's a lot of ways, I guess you could probably consider social or, you know, someone could, could turn it and say, you know, we are having social impact because we are checking one of these boxes versus what is it truly that, you know, not only is it, it is, it's really overarching, it should be entirely beneficial, not just in one of the boxes that you're checking. So, yeah, I think that, it, you know, it is definitely a buzzword, but at the same time, there are, you know, it's good that at least there are a, a couple of, of funds that are focusing primarily on that triple bottom line return because that's really what's important and i think in cambodia you're starting to see a little bit of that come to light as well mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i think in terms of cambodia it's very similar to some of the other areas that we talked about leapfrogging because they i mean cambodia has a very nice ngo representation here in the country So they know very much regarding social impacts. So when the capital market is developing here in Cambodia, they actually embrace the idea about social impact investments, maybe a little bit better than some of the more developed countries here in Asia. Honestly, I talked to some of my friends in Singapore, in Hong Kong, regarding how the family offices in the markets are trying to find targets to do social impact investments, but most of my friends over there think it's still very far away from a real social impact investment. Most of the time, the family offices are just, you know, simply looking for some companies that have ESG indexes or some targets that they claim they want to achieve to sort of feel like they are doing social impact investments, but it it is still a little bit far away. Yeah, and since arriving in Cambodia, it'd be great to also have have you talk, talk to us about what your first perspectives are in Cambodia, maybe versus your experience in Taiwan. How is the startup ecosystem a little bit different? I think I'm very lucky that I didn't have a huge cultural shock so far, maybe because I I am really open-minded regarding I might encounter here in Cambodia, so I didn't, you know, get surprised by anything so far. But in terms of the startup ecosystem, I can feel here to Taiwan, it's really new here. So the founders have to face a lot of difficulties that some of the Taiwanese founders might not need to deal with anymore. For example, I figured for the founders here in Cambodia, they still need to explain what exactly startup is to some of the potential angel investors they talk to, which in Taiwan, most angel investors understand what exactly startups are already. But sometimes we we think we face some difficulties just that nobody else have to face. 
but actually, fundamentally, problems are pretty universal. For example, I understand for a lot of founders here in Cambodia, they think fundraising is very hard. It is very hard in Cambodia for sure, especially if they are asking for a ticket size between, I think, 50K to 500K. It's a size that most difficult here in the market. But fundraising is hard in Taiwan, in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in everywhere, in Silicon Valley. Right. Just the competition you are facing is different. For example, maybe you have a bigger pool of investors in Taiwan who are willing to give you 50K to 500K, but you also have some other more competitions regarding other founders, other startups also asking for funding. So unfortunately, asking for money is very hard everywhere in the world. So I hope this reality makes some of the Cambodian founders feel a little bit better because you are not fighting this war alone. Every single founder in the world is fighting this war. Yeah, especially given the current macro perspective too. VC is, you know, VC funding has kind of taken a little bit of a shift in many progressive theses and maybe a little bit more hesitant to deploy capital. And that brings us perfectly to choice and what you are looking to do in Cambodia. So can you give the audience a sense of like, how this came to be and what, what you're looking to do a bit differently than what's currently being offered in the sort of seed stage investing slash acceleration space in Cambodia. Yeah, so I mentioned a little bit regarding how me and my boss started to discuss a program here in Cambodia to help the local founders. So the company I'm working for is from Taiwan, but we have our operations here in Cambodia for more than 20 years. And the founding family always thinks how exactly they can help the local community because they feel very grateful that everything they ever achieve is because of the hard work of Cambodian people, because of the 14,000 employees that we hire. So we always try to think about a better way to contribute back to the society. So of course, as a major company here, we did a lot of donations to NGOs, like we provided free school, free education, and some community work and things like that. And we discovered that gradually through the development of Cambodia, right now the society really needs some capital investments, especially in local enterprises or startups. So because we are doing early stage investments everywhere in the world, we have actually around 30 portfolio companies in the group that we invested. So we want to see if we can combine these two ideas that we invest in Cambodia as a society and also we leverage our knowledge regarding investing in early stage companies everywhere in the world. So we actually wanted to have Choice Accelerator about two and a half years ago, but that was when COVID hit us. So we had to delay the launch of Choice. Finally, after two and a half years, now everything is kind of back to normal. So we can, you know, officially launch this program. We say it as a program, but actually it's going to be very different from all the other accelerator programs now in Cambodia. It's not because we try to be different from everybody else. It's because what we know how to do is just early stage investments. So we want to focus on providing equity capital investments to the startups that we support. And at the same time, we know exactly there are some other resources as a corporate 
we can provide to the early stage startups that they might need. So everything we want to do is around what exactly the companies that we want to invest might need. For example, if they need a co-working space because they cannot afford the rent of a you know central place for their office, we can provide a co-working space. If the founders have some difficulties that they need some mentors to discuss with regarding their daily operation, regarding the issues they encounter when they are managing a team, we will try to find the right mentors to discuss with them according to their need. So we will not try to force the founders to have a certain amount of time to meet the mentors, but it's more like whenever the founder feel like they need to talk to someone, the mentors will be there to listen to them and to discuss with them. So we want to find mentors that really know the industries of the founders, really know the markets, like at least Cambodia and some Southeast Asian countries that other startups want to enter and things like that. So if they need mentors, we try to provide mentors. If they want to talk to specific companies, because maybe they are doing to be businesses and we do have the connections with the companies we introduce. So it's more like we will try our best to provide the enterprise resources we have as a group to the startups that we want to invest. And we focus on providing equity investments to solve the very urgent issue most of the founders feel like they have to encounter. So this is how we design the whole operation of choice, you know, instead of from a more traditional accelerator program kind of perspective saying this is the batch, this is the program, and this is the speakers that we're going to invite, so please apply and we will, you know, pick some of the companies to join this batch. But we, we didn't design all this because we want to be different. It's uh, simply because all we know exactly what to do, how to do is to invest in early stage startups and then we know there will be some other things we can provide to help the early stage startups. Yeah, and to kind of run it back, really it's the, the two biggest things that Choice is helping startups with is being able to not only provide the capital, but also the necessary resources to help with this fundamental success that, you know, hopefully over the period of time that you'll be working with them, that they'll be able to grow and scale their business. And, you know, it takes a little bit of different of approach that, you know, we've seen where in, in these batches of accelerator programs that have gone through though, you know, as is if there is, you know, a, a you know a, a couple month period in which that a batch does go through, and there is some sort of resource that are provided, Choice on the other hand will also continue to work with these startups over a longer period of time. What kind of time preference would would Choice work with startups over over this time period? Is it for a year, two years? Could you give the audience a little bit of perspective around that? Well, that's a very good question. Actually, as a equity investor, we can say the relationship between Choice and our portfolio companies will be lifelong, right? Until we exit, or even after we exit, maybe we can still help the founders a little bit, provide something different in the market, because as a real equity investor, the relationship is going to be long-term, and we are not running in a batch kind of base which means we don't need to force the companies that we invest to graduate and then feel like 
they are not they are no longer a part of the whole ecosystem. So in terms of the relationship it's just going to be like whenever the founders need us. So it's still back to the you know fundamental philosophy of choice. We will try to provide everything we can whenever the founders feel like they need it. Okay, rather than having a very regimented set program, it's more just like yeah, if and when you need along your journey we can can support. But what about what about that physical space? Is the point of having a physical space to kind of try and create connections amongst these startups and create sort of a, a culture or is that is that secondary? It is a resource that we can provide we understand for some very early stage companies they might need. But for example, for some of the companies I'm talking to and I'm very interested in discussing the possibility of investing in them right now, I know exactly they have a team around like 25 people, 30 people, so they already have their own office. They don't need a co-working space anymore, so we will not force them to move into our co-working space just because we have a co-working space to fill. So I think the space is just a good place for us to provide to the community whenever people feel like they need it. So I actually expand my invitation to some of the portfolio com- sorry, some of the startups that I talk to. I know maybe it's a little bit too early stage for us to discuss the possibility of investing in them, but they do need a space. So they might, you know, get to enjoy the space that we have a little bit together with all the other people in the ecosystem. So, yeah, we we didn't really have a very specific target for providing or launching this space. It's just like we have it and we are welcoming to everyone. Okay. Yeah, okay, that that makes sense. So, so just talking about the uh, the ticket size that you're looking at, you said it's around 50 50 to 100k per startup, right? Mhm. Yeah. And could you Tell us a little bit more to maybe some of the startup founders that are listening. What what do you look for? What what is your kind of approach for making an investment? And yeah, what are some of the key characteristics that you're looking for in a company or a founder? Wow. Well, if we are talking about a ticket size around 50k to 100k from our pocket, because I know most of the founders they are maybe looking for like 200k to 500k ish, and we will try to see how we can sort of gather some of the other co-investments together with us. So we might be able to provide a little bit, you know, bigger ticket. But anyway, if we are talking about a size around 200K to 500K, companies are still in very early stage. So it is for sure that the founders will encounter a lot of difficulties along the way. Like you will feel like your company is going to die like next week or <laughs> you don't have enough capital to support your operation within few days for several times because I know for some founders they thought if they manage to raise this fund they will not have any problems in the future because they will soon break even and then everything will go to you know a right direction but you know it's always not like this <laughs> you will still have a lot of ups and downs until you finally list your company or sell your company. So the business model is of course very important and the financial projections for sure because we want to see exactly your logic and the indexes and estimations when you do the financial projections. But I think the most important thing that I want to see in a founder is actually how 
you show your determination about you will work hard and do everything you can to sustain your company to the final stage because it is not for someone who don't have a strong heart. You need to have a very, very strong determination to encounter all the difficulties that you will face in the future. So first, the personality of the founder. I need to see that this person can sustain under any difficult circumstances. And second is the is the perspective of the founder. It's a little bit hard to explain, but most of the time you will know that there's an ultimate goal of a startup, that there's a status that the management team wants to achieve. And there are some ways you can work on to try to get to the goal. For a founder, if you have a very broad perspective that you can see the whole picture of everything in the ecosystem, you will know exactly how you can try to navigate between the obstacles and still, in the end, get to achieve the goal. If you don't have a very broad perspective, you have a narrower one, when you encounter difficulties, you will easily feel there's no way you can make it and you want to give up. So it's also a way for an investor like me to judge how possible the founders or the founding team will be able to tackle the difficulties by talking with them and understanding their perspective. If they have a very broad picture, you know exactly how they will be able to find a way for them to detour and then still come back to the right path to go to the final goal. But if the perspective is too narrow, when they see obstacles along the way, they will feel like there's no other way for them to go. So how you can describe a very broad perspective to me regarding the business you want to do, regarding the industry, the market, and also the final goal your startup wants to achieve is a key for me to know exactly how possible you can navigate the difficulties that are going to show up in the future of your company. So I, I think for every founder, it is very critical for you to think of this whole picture. And I also sometimes tell founders that what kind of founders or companies will make an investor to think that I really want to invest in this person, I really want to invest in this company. It is when you can describe a very, very clear picture of the future of your business that the picture is so clear, all you need is just money because you know exactly what things you want to do, what things you need to do, and what kind of future you will be able to accomplish. You just need money, so you need to talk to investor. Because as an investor, I don't want to invest in someone who don't really know exactly what the companies will be. And then they are still asking for my money. What if you know I give you money and you don't really know how to deal with it? You need to let me know that you exactly know what you want to deal with it, and how to spend the money, how to achieve everything in like six months, one year, three years, five years, ten years. And all you need to do is just a little bit of capital support. That's when exactly I know maybe I want to support you because you seem to exactly know what you want to do. So some of the founders 
Of course, you can still ask for comments or suggestions from investors, but just please don't tell me that you don't really know how you can allocate the fund you are going to raise, or you don't really know how the market might be in three years, because that's your job to tell me exactly what that, you know, everything will be. And all I have to do is just to support you by capital investments. That's the most ideal situation. You can persuade an investor to invest in you. So try to describe a very, very, very clear picture about your business to the investor. Okay, great. Yeah, that's a really interesting explanation. I think to summarize it, I would say that you're looking for an entrepreneur that that has a lot of clarity, but is also resilient and able to to pivot and and work through all these challenges. Are you are you finding entrepreneurs like this in Cambodia? What's what's that been like? Of course. There are some of them that I feel really inspired after I talk to them. So I'm pretty looking forward to have the opportunity to work with them. Yeah, that's exactly the characteristics I'm looking for in startup founders. Do you think there's something unique about Cambodia that makes makes that kind of individual actually more present here? Mm, that's a very good question. I think the desire to be successful is very, very clear in the society of Cambodia. Everybody is trying to find a way to be successful. You can see how vibrant the atmosphere is in the city center, and everyone is very active. So I think it helps to, you know, nurture a group of young entrepreneurs to be very passionate and very hungry regarding what exactly they want to achieve, and it's a good mindset for them to have because. I think comparatively, if we are talking about other more developed areas, the society itself is a little bit stable. So for some of the young entrepreneurs, they might have very good sense of finance or technology, or even management skills, but they don't really have the eager to, you know, be successful and be very, very aggressive, and which is very different here in Cambodia. And do you think that? That sort of mentality will change, or what do you think would it take for that eagerness to come to the surface, especially and for a younger generation? Do you think it would it would be just the visibility of other young successful entrepreneurs in the country being able to grow a company, raise capital, things along these lines, or do you think it is something where ownership would be you know, needs to be more encouraged at? Like an earlier level, say a high school, university level, for example. I think honestly, the government is doing a pretty good job in terms of promoting startup ecosystem in the education system. Like I know they do have some programs or funding to interact with even high school students. We don't even have this kind of programs in Taiwan. So I think it's pretty amazing that they wanted to start this interaction, even with a very young generation like the high school students, not to say university students. I do think if we can have more successful figures in the industry, for example, some very successful, even unicorn kind of startups coming from Cambodia, or some successful founders who raised a significant amount of 
funding from global investors here in Cambodia will help the younger generations to know this is exactly what we might be able to achieve. So this is the, the right way for me to try to work on. But on the other hand, you can understand how inspiring it is for some of the founders that we are talking to right now because without this kind of successful figures they can still try to push and try to accomplish all the difficulties they are facing every day to work on startup so I, I just feel like I have a lot of admiration for them because it's really very inspiring for them to even work on this without you know, a concrete example for them to look up on. And what have you found to be some of the most like satisfying experiences, or maybe not satisfying, but wholesome experiences that you've had with entrepreneurs before? You know, maybe if it is with some of the entrepreneurs that you're speaking with here in Cambodia, you know, s some of those moments where you know, you you really are starting to see like the coercion between the two, between you and the entrepreneur and, and team being able to grow the business. Wow. Well, it's a little bit too early for me to give you an example here in Cambodia because we just launched this month. But for some other early stage investments that we did, we already, because we started to do investments like five years or six years ago. So indeed, some of them are reaching a stage that maybe they can do pre-IPO fundraising. And that's when you hear the founders talking to other investors that if it was not the support of my you know, early stage investor, like the company I'm working for, I will not be here because they were the first ones to believe in me, to support me. I think for early stage investments, this is the most important part that actually it is more about a belief because of course we have a lot of like analysis and financial projections, but nothing will really happen according to the financial projections just after six months, not just, you know, three years. So we tried our best to do analysis, but at the end of the day, it's just the belief you have in terms of the founder, the founding team themselves and how the industry and the product or the service they are trying to launch can potentially disrupt the uh, current status quo. So the founders know exactly by getting your investments, they receive your belief in them at the same time. So that's the most valuable thing for them actually that you are willing to believe in them while nobody else can understand what they want to do. And sometimes the belief is even bigger than the capital amount that you invest in them. That's the kind of mental support they need to tackle all the difficulties they need to face in the real world. So when they are finally in a better stage that they can comfortably talk about themselves and the businesses to other investors. The things that they want to share with you or they want to tell the other investors about you is actually how you believe in them while nobody else understood them. So that's when you know exactly how you actually help them in more than just capital investments. And it's really, really satisfying for me. And just following up on that, what, have there been any like surprises? You know, the the perception versus reality, you know, when speaking to some of these founders or, you know, talking with and with startups and kind of getting used to the ecosystem here, what what if, has there been anything that sort of surprised you? What surprised me? Not exactly, honestly. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a leading question. 
I was just I just sort of meant like was there anything that you so sort of coming in you you had a perception and then as you've got to know the the country and the startups here and and the investment landscape have have you kind of had a new realization based on you know being here and the reality that's present I think it's still how because the current status quo of the country in general is less developed so when we see a startup showing up trying to solve issues in the daily lives of people they provide a very comprehensive solution they try to embed every elements they see in the status quo into their solution while it's pretty common for me to see all the other startups from other more developed areas when they come up they are only trying to solve a very small portion of the problem they see because maybe for the fundamentals they have a lot of established services and products already so they focus on a very specific niche kind of solution for a specific type of question but for Cambodia because we don't really have very solid infrastructure so when they provide a solution it's a very comprehensive one it's a whole ecosystem a whole platform that trying to connect all the players so i think i think this is pretty yeah it's still very inspiring for me to see they have such a big heart that they want to solve all the issues at the same time with together with just one platform or one product that's okay that's a, that's a really interesting point yeah is that kind of more of this like general sector approach as opposed to being quite focused on a niche in some of these other countries that you've that you've had experience with i know you said in your investment sort of thesis for founders you're you're mostly founder first but in your experience here have there been any sectors that you've kind of naturally gravitated towards and that you see that are ripe for opportunity and and you know maybe need more attention from an investment perspective There's actually one area that I hope I can see more solutions for more startups working on it, but I haven't really seen too many, which is agriculture. Because for my understanding, the whole agriculture production process in Cambodia here is pretty basic. So I hope we will have more solutions regarding how to make everything more efficient, more technology-based, more digitalized. But I haven't seen too many solutions in this field. because i think food supply will be the biggest issue for our society it's not just cambodia but globally very soon because of climate change of course we have a lot of startups trying to solve the things about like carbon emissions and capture and everything but it's not going to be you know fast enough before we can finally achieve a more ideal stage about how we manage the carbon emission we will face the difficulty of food supply to feed 7 billion people very soon so i see food supply a very very serious issue everywhere in the world so i really hope that we can have more solutions here in cambodia to see how we can exactly use the resources we have here more efficiently and we can try to help not just only people here in cambodia but also other countries okay yeah oh, great yeah there's we've had a few agricultural entrepreneurs on the podcast atida from atong enterprise and path from azaya and there are a few investment firms that we've seen that want to really focus on this like like insator partners they seem to be really trying to make a push there so i i think i yeah i agree it's a, it's one of these it's one of these sectors that we actually i think when when living in phnom penh and the urban areas we were sometimes biased 
away from because we're used to the you know a lot of these entrepreneurs are obviously out in in the in the province so but no i think it i agree it's a really it's a really sector to be to be looking at and just just our last question here on kind of the overall market to what extent would you say cambodia is the most high potential market in southeast asia I think there are several different reasons that Cambodia is really a place that we want to participate. One is, of course, the government is pretty friendly to foreign investments. So in terms of regulation, it's pretty clear and stable for most of the foreign money compared to the authorities in other you know, nearby regions. And the society is pretty stable as well for the past few years. So we have a very st- stable environment for foreign investors to, to perform here in the country. And we have a very young and aggressive population. I remember the average age of Cambodia is like under 30, like 25-ish, which is very amazing. So the young population And of course, for me, the infrastructure, like 80% of the people have access to internet, which is very important because we are looking at a lot of technological related startups. So it can only operate when majority of the population have internet access, especially mobile internet access. So these indexes are the things that I feel like pretty confident regarding the development of Cambodia. And as as a, a power maker, as our core business, we understand that actually after COVID, a lot of international brands are thinking of even having more capacities here in Cambodia because compared to some nearby countries, they did pretty well during COVID in terms of you know, helping the local population to get vaccinated and control the spread of the virus. So all these together put Cambodia in a very good position that most of the international brands and suppliers are thinking of having more activities here in the country. Especially going back to your point too about the the average age of the population, I, I believe it's right around 25, 25 years old, which is one of the youngest in the world, as, along with the highest, some of the highest internet penetration combined with some of the cheapest access, the cheapest cost for data access to it's, it, it provides a really interesting opportunity for businesses to, you know, for businesses to grow around as well as in terms from an investment perspective too, just to touch on those points. And as we go into the last section of our conversation today, we're going to discuss a little bit about some habits and advice that hopefully we can have, we can share with the audience and be able to learn a little bit more about you. And I think the first question I would like to start with is what has been your biggest failure and what did you learn from that experience? My biggest failure, I had a huge fight with one of the boss that I previously worked for and got, I got myself fired because of that. Yeah. Wow, no, no way. <laughs> well, I learned a lot in that experience because how, how can I put it? Well, at that time, I felt like I, I was totally right and I couldn't bear with him anymore. So I had to make the fight and I had to express how unhappy I, I was. But I understand right now that Actually, as a manager, a boss, or just a you know leader in a team, I cannot really help other people to deal with their own difficulties. You have to 
manage your own difficulties by yourself. All I can do is just to be there, telling you exactly what is the goal of the organization. And you need to show me you are a part of the solution of that you know, ultimate goal of the organization. Otherwise, I, I will need to work with somebody else. So if I don't like the situation I was in or I was treated, of course, I had very, very good reasons why I, I was very unhappy. But the the things that, that I dealt with it was I, I could try to manage it internally. Like if I didn't like it, I could think of, you know, how to find another job and then, you know, transition to another position. But I shouldn't confront my boss in that way because no manager can accept their junior to fight with them like that. So of course he had to fire me. So that's the lesson that I've learned. But it was a good lesson. I knew exactly <laughs> how to better communicate with my boss or my seniors after that incident. So it was a great help for my career. Yeah, it's really important to go through those kind of experiences too. I mean, especially if, you know, in the moment, it kind of feels like the world could be ending and like things aren't going, you're, you're just kind of like thinking about all the negatives at that point and that moment. But, you know, once you take some time to decompress and look back and you realize, you know, that was what was best for yourself and ultimately helped you grow as a person. That's, that's really, you know, you, you really appreciate those times too and can think of a couple times in my career as well that you know, <laughs> similar like experiences, but you know, it's, it's always a growing, it's always, it's always important to keep on growing. I um, know, especially after you had this kind of experience and when you see somebody else going through exactly similar situations, you understand how you can help them. For example, I witnessed a founder of a portfolio company that we invested argue in front of everybody else with a potential investor because he felt like that potential investor didn't even catch what exactly he wanted to do with his business which is very frustrating for most of the founders that you spend you know one hour two hours to explain your business ideas to one potential investor and that guy started to ask very stupid questions right but as an investor of your company what i expect is you can maturely deal with this kind of situation i understand your frustration but you cannot you know fight with the guy in front of you and set up a negative reputation about your you know, emotional control and everything in the market because this is a very small world. Honestly, mm-hmm. every single investor and investment community is like super small. So if you, you know, have a very bad relationship with one person, you don't know exactly what that person might tell other people about you. And he has his influence in the very small society. So you have to be careful regarding all your interactions with everyone. So I was like, I exactly knew why he was very unhappy, but that was not going to help him. So just sharing with everybody else. <laughs> no, no, really, no, really appreciate the candidness. I feel like that's, it's, a, it's an important lesson, especially for any startup founder that's listening right now to you know, obviously just uh, always agree with the investor because they're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, some of the investors are really stupid. Let's just put it. I don't feel like all oh, my peers are very smart to, you know, understand your business model and the innovative things that you want to launch. But please bear with them. Even you don't like them, but still try to be polite and don't fight with them. Mm-hmm. 
No, couldn't agree more. What would you say is the most formative book that you've ever read? I, you've you've had a, you've had quite an illustrious career, and curious if there are any books that have influenced your your career trajectory, or even personally in terms of your growth and development. Hmm, that's a very interesting question. I normally read just you know very famous literature works from previous generations. I don't really need any business kind of books. I know a lot of people in my industry they tend to read a lot of business books, but I never. <laughs> I yeah, I normally don't really. Me read neither.、Books. Me neither.、Yeah. Too dry. <laughs> <laughs> So the the book that that influenced me the most might be Chinese book called Three Kingdoms. That's the translation directly of the Chinese books. In Chinese, it's Three Kingdoms. It's about sort of half history, half fiction regarding a certain period of time in Chinese history that we had three major countries trying to fight each other to be the Ultimate one to rule the whole China, and that's a very, you know, manly literature work. That they have all these generals fighting with each other, and the the tactics they use against each other, <laughs> and the emperors and everything like that. But I was very into this this work when I was young. I read like multiple different versions of the stories multiple times. So yeah, it it influenced me a lot somehow. I don't know why. Yeah, just just our last question that we like to close out the podcast with: What is the most important piece of advice that you've ever been given? To founders. Just just in general, like what what is one piece of advice that you kind of carry with、uh, carry with yourself that's really had a big impact on your life? I think of one. There is a very good one given by the boss that I fought with. And got myself fired. He actually told me that, as a sales, because I was a sales when I worked with him. As a sales, the best thing you can do is you provide something else that your clients need so much that they don't even care about the real performance of the financial investments. Because we were helping, you know, families to do investments. So normally, as a sales,、uh, the way your clients judge you is to. You know, see the performances of the asset allocation outcome. But what if you can do something even more impressive to your clients, so they will still want to work with you, even the performance of your portfolio is not the best compared to your competitors. So that's exactly when you start to think, what else you can really add to the whole solution or portfolio you provide to your clients? They want to work with you so much that. Even, which should be the most important element of your performance, becomes not that you know decisive. And I think, although I'm not doing sales anymore right now, as an investor, whenever I talk to founders, I still try to see for their business model, for the whole picture that they want to provide as a solution to the market. If there's this kind of element that. Their clients need so much, so even they are charging a little bit higher, their clients still are willing to pay. You know, that's a great piece of advice. Thanks for that. On that note, thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on Rising Giants. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you today, and we wish you the best of luck with Choice, and and the impact that will have on the Cambodian startup ecosystem. Thank you. Thank you for your support.
Max and Dom. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you.